Well, church, I want to encourage you, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading this morning uh, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to invite Donnie up. He's going to read for us. Uh, Would you please stand with me out of respect for God's Word? Uh, And I'll pass it off to Donnie. Brother, go for it. Good morning, church. Uh, Join me in reading the Word, Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we come to this text, and it speaks of uh, the reality that we have been saved by grace through faith, that we are your workmanship, that you've made us Um, And you've given us purpose, and you've given us a reason to live, and you've given us a calling to walk out in this world. And I pray, Father, this morning that as we talk about these things, as we communicate these things, Lord, that you would speak through me, uh, a broken vessel, one who is certainly not always faithful and obedient uh, to walk in a manner worthy of your gospel. Um, but, Father, one that wants to do so, and I know that many in this room want to do so, and I pray so this morning that uh, as we look at your word, that you would work in us through your spirit, that we would truly walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that you have given to us, that we have been saved. And so, Lord, we give this time to you. We ask for your favor and your blessing. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Some of you know um, this is not the book of Revelation, which is where we have been over the past several um, weeks, several months, uh, and uh, stepped out of Revelation, but only kind of. And here's what I mean by only kind of. If you know, if you've been with us as we talked through the book of Revelation, one of the things that you've seen and one of the things we've talked about is that as we think of uh, what God is revealing to us, he's revealing that to us for a reason. And what we've said is that he's revealing it so that we might engage in the battle around us. And we see this idea of works all over the place in the book of Revelation. I mean, when you look at the letters to the seven churches, he, he talks about oftentimes at the beginning of each letter, he says, listen, I, I see you, I know your works. Right? And so some of those works are commendable works. They're ones that should be celebrated within the church. And others, um, Jesus says, listen, I, I have this against you. Like you need to shift and you need to move in this. And, and, and so works is a part of ultimately how we want to see these ideas flush out in our lives. And it's not just the book of Revelation. We come out of Resurrection Sunday. And Resurrection Sunday is a day where we look at the grace of God and we look at all that he's done in our lives and we look at how amazing uh, the work that he's accomplished is and how beautiful it is and how we rest in it and we abide in it. And I think for many of us, we come out of that and we're like, how do I live my life, as I've already said this morning, in a manner that's worthy of this gospel? How do I walk this faithfully? And I think a lot of times we talk about those works and we talk about, okay, we want to do that. And I look across this room and I believe that the vast majority of people that are here, like we genuinely want to be faithful. We want to walk faithful. None of us are perfect at it, for sure. But most of us, I genuinely believe we want to be faithful and we want to carry out what it is that God has for our lives. A lot of times, though, we talk about that call and we don't talk about what that actually looks like. And what the practice is like in our day-to-day lives as we go about 
um, taking care of kids and going to work and doing all the things that life requires of us. What does it mean and what does it look like to actually carry out the works that God has called us to? And so that is what I want to look at today. And I want to do it in a unique way. I want to do it as we kind of frame it around um, my recent trip to Kenya. Um, because it gives us uh, uh, some ways to talk about things. And again, this isn't just about Kenya. This is about us seeing these things work itself out in our lives. But it gives us a good structure to talk through that. Before we get to any of that, though, I think it's important for us to understand that there's a lot of different kinds of works that Scripture speaks about. And there's three in particular that I, I want us to look at this morning. Three unique kinds of works. The first kind is works of flesh and of darkness. Now, these are not good works, right? Scripture talks about these, and there's lists of them in the Scriptures. In places like Galatians, there's lists of this. This is enmity and strife and idolatry and adultery and all of these wicked things and debauchery and drunkenness and lying. and I could keep going, right? The list goes on. We, we understand the works of the flesh. This is that part of us that wants to rebel against God. And we talked about that last week, like, like we've seen these things, we know these things, we are affected by these things. They're the things that bring in this world such things like, like pain and fear and instability and hurt and injustice. Like we see this all over. We see the effects of it in our own personal lives, right? We also see the effects of it in our, our corporate lives as people, as individuals and in broken relationships, we see the effects of these kinds of works in the world abroad, in our country, right? We see it in things like the shooting that just happened this morning or last night late. Uh, we see it in issues like the fentanyl addictions and pornography addictions that are all over our country. Like We see the effects of sin. It's no different when I was in Kenya. We see the effects of this sin as we're walking through the slums. And here's just some pictures that I took. And, and it's easy to look there and say, like, oh, man, I can see that. And we see the poverty and we see the injustice. And we're like, man, I can't believe that there's kids that are walking and playing around rivers full of trash and, and all kinds of stuff and this poverty and the brokenness. And as we're walking through, these are like streets between homes is where Donnie's at there. And we look at that and we're like, man, this is a result of sin, isn't it? Isn't it ultimately the result of sin? And like I said, it's in our culture too. It's no different. It's all over the place. And so we see the works of flesh. We see the works of sin in our lives. And it's what wreaks havoc in us. It's what wreaks havoc in our world. And it's what ultimately Jesus came to fix. Amen. He came to not only free us from it in our own lives, but ultimately, guess what? We're never going to see a scene like this in the new heaven and new earth. Amen? Like, we're not going to have to listen to shootings in some club in the new heaven and new earth. We're not going to have to be dealing with fentanyl addictions in the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to fix it. And so he came to bring grace and mercy and to restore and to heal and to deliver us from these kinds of things and this kind of effect in our lives. And so we know there's the works of the flesh. There's the works of sin. But the scripture also talks of another kind of work, and it's the work of the law. If you've been around the church for very long, you know this is one that Jesus dealt with a lot in his day. And here's the basic idea of the works of the law. It's the idea that by being obedient to certain ceremonial or moral laws or standards, you can be made right before God. 
Like you can deal with the guilt that is inside of you. This can take a really Christian view, can't it? Like a lot of us, we may struggle with this. We may even feel like, man, if I just do the right things, then God will be happy with me. If I just go to church enough, God will be happy with me. You may feel the weight of this when you sin and you fall into that sin that you fall into all the time, whether it's anger or pride or whatever it is, and you say, okay, I can fix this. I can make God better with me, and I can get back into his good graces if I read the Bible more. These are works of the law. The Pharisees did this all over the place. They believed that if they did the right things, that they could be right before God. But this works out in our world too, doesn't it? Like You don't have to be a Christian for this. You can be an atheist and engage in works of the law. You can see it when they say things like, uh, like philanthropic work, where they're trying to deal with their own guilt in unique ways by, by trying to be good to people. It's the same kind of idea when you walk up to somebody and you say, oh, do you think you'd go to heaven if you died today? And they say, well, yeah. And you say, well, why do you think that you do that? Well, I'm a pretty good person, right? Like that's based on works of the law. Now, they may not call it works of the law, but that's what it is. And Paul makes it clear in Ephesians. He says, it's not by these kinds of works. It's not of your own doing. It's by grace through faith that salvation comes. So that nobody can boast. Nobody. Not the best of us. Not the one who's given the most money away. Not the kindest of us. None of us can boast. Because we don't find salvation through works of the law. And any single work that we do and we rely upon as a crutch to tell ourselves that this is why I have salvation is a work of the law. And it can't bring salvation. It can't. Your salvation is never based on that. It's based on grace. And yet, we see this in Ephesians. We see it in chapter 2 here. We see those types of work, but we see another kind of work as well. A work that comes from a different source, don't we? Because it says very clearly, it says that we are what? His workmanship, and we're created where? In Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So this isn't opposed to good works. Like we're to be a people of good works, aren't we? We just aren't to be a people who depend upon our good works. In fact, this leads to the third type of work and the work that Ephesians talks about, which is works of faith. Works of faith. I think of Abraham, when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son. He didn't know how that was going to work out, but he knew God was for him, not against him. He trusted God, and so he, knowing that even if his son were to die, God could raise him up from the dead again, he took his son to the altar. I think of Paul, who who at great cost to himself, beatings, shipwrecks, hunger, like he went forth to proclaim the gospel and do good works. Why? Because of the work God had already done in him. See, God was working, and these were works of faith that came from what God was doing in him. And these are the kinds of works that are prepared for us. I'm going to call them works of faith. And I want to talk this morning for us as we consider, okay, I want to be someone who's not doing works of the law or works of the flesh. I want to be somebody who wants to literally, genuinely have my life marked by works of faith 
what does that look like for us? What is an elements based in our lives when it comes to the elements of the works of faith? As we seek to be faithful. Well, I think that they won, first and foremost, those works have to be motivated by grace. That's why Paul says this. It's for, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. It starts there, doesn't it? How have you been saved? Grace. In faith. Now, I want to make sure we all understand, faith is not just knowing something up in your head. Faith is giving yourself over to Jesus in full trust. It's, uh, you're, I, I trust you for everything. For help from my sins, freedom from my sins, for life. Like, I trust you for everything. And works of faith, they're not motivated by fear. They're not, mo- not motivated to earn God's favor. They're not motivated by um, desire to gain blessing from God. They're not motivated by other people to look at us and give us praise. They're motivated only because of what God has done already in us. They're motivated by his grace, and I didn't put this on the, the, the bullet points. So you need to write this off to the side, but they're motivated also by love. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and who? Your neighbor as yourself. Like, see, this is the motivation of works. A work of faith is not motivated out of the desire to be seen. A work of faith is motivated out of a desire to... to to, to love the Lord, to be obedient to his commands, regardless of what the cost is. Not because you want to make him happy with you, but because he already has been happy with you. I think about my kids. I think about me if I were to tell them to go do the trash. I could get them to do the trash in a variety of different ways, but if my kids go and do the trash because they think I'm mad at them, and because they, they think that I'm, I'm, I'm not a father that loves them, and they hope that by doing the trash, like, it will make me as a father love them, that's not the right motivation. But if my kids do the trash because they know they're secure in their father's love, because they love their dad, if they do the trash because they want to love their mom and they want to love those around them, then, then that's the right kind of motivation. And that's what we're talking about here. We want to be a people who do works in our lives motivated by an unshakable trust in Jesus, motivated by the grace that he has given to us, motivated by the love that he has done in our, or given to us in our lives. Now because of this, because this is the ultimate goal, we also see that faith, works of faith are going to be works that are focused upon witness. As much as Jesus' work here on this planet was motivated by love and compassion, they also had an intent to them. Look at John chapter 10, verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Likewise, every single work of faith that we do should be about bearing witness to Jesus. Whether it's the simplest of work of saying no to your flesh, I won't do that. I won't say that. Or moving to India to become a missionary. The goal is to bear witness to Jesus and the work he has done in your life. 
Like that's the goal. That should be the goal of anything you do. If you serve the kids at church here for any other reason, it's the wrong reason. If you give money to the church for any other reason, it's the wrong reason. We want to do it to bear witness to Jesus. And I told you I was going to kind of frame things around my trip to Kenya. One of the reasons why I love Missions of Hope International is because that's what they do everything around. And just so I don't have to say Missions of Hope International, I'm going to use um, what they call, which is Mohi. Um, and Mohi is the title that they give this. But Mohi, they, the, everything they do is about sharing Jesus with communities and people and families and kids and seeing the kingdom of God come into those lives. And so when they give food to kids, it's not just to give food and fill their bellies. They want to give them the word. When they teach them how to, how to sew and to do things, it's not just to give them a skill. It's an opportunity so they can teach them about Jesus and the grace that he offers to them. I remember um, back in 2008, uh, I was able to go and visit um, uh, one of the schools that we were actually going to partner with as a school, we, as a church. Uh, it was a school in a place called Mabatini. And when I went in 2008, this is what Mabatini looked like. Uh, this was the school there. Um, Mary and Wallace probably remember this. Uh, it was a school of about 53 kids. They had just moved into this village, and we and several other churches were partnering with uh, this school to sponsor kids and to um, raise funds so that they could have um, more than just the tin shanty that these 53 kids were there um, learning in. And what was the goal of this? The goal was not to build something great. The goal was to bear witness to Jesus in these kids' lives. And when I was able to go just last year, this is what Mabatini now looks like. Like, it's now, now this is what started with 53, well, it probably started with less than 53 kids, but what started in 2008 with 53 kids now has over 1,000 students in it. It's eight floors, and it rises up out of this slum like a, like a shining light that lets everybody know Jesus is here. And what I love about it, like, yeah, you can absolutely, and we're not, we're not clapping for anyone else, right? but Jesus has done that work. And when we go into that space, like, you're going to get to meet Mary and Wallace Kamau, who, who, have, who have started Missions of Hope International. Their faces aren't on the doors of those places. It's about Jesus. It's about bearing witness to Jesus. That's all that matters. Get kids into that space so we can tell them about Jesus. See, works of faith are motivated by our love, motivated by the grace that's been given to us, and the goal is to witness to Jesus. If you go into someone's life and you give them bread, but you don't tell them about Jesus, you missed it. If you educate them, but you don't tell them about Jesus, you missed it. If you give them a coat and you don't tell them about Jesus, you missed it. Jesus is the goal. And bearing witness to Jesus is the goal. And when we step out in works of faith like that, even small ones, he can do great things like this. But here's the thing that we know. If it's motivated by grace and its goal is to bear witness to Jesus, then we also recognize this. It also has to be from Christ. Right? This is part of the reason why it bears witness to Jesus is because it's not done in our strength. It's done in his spirit. Galatians chapter 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It should bring to mind other texts, like I can do nothing apart from Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Unless the Lord builds, the builder builds in vain. The branch bears fruit because it abides in the vine. Brothers and sisters, we can't do anything eternal for God's grace, for God's glory in our strength. Like we can't. And the moment that any work we do is in our strength, in our effort, it's no longer a work of faith. If you can do it without prayer, it's probably not a work of faith. If you can do it and you can control the outcome, it's probably not a work of faith. And so here's the thing. Let's take it out of the big context of building a giant school. What about sharing your faith with somebody at the grocery store? Like if you recognize, like listen, I want to share my faith with this person, but I don't control the outcome. So I need to pray, Lord, would you open their, help their eyes to be open to the gospel? Father, would you give me words? And you step into that. That's now a work of faith. It's now going to come from Christ. And if anything happens out of that sharing of your faith, you don't get the glory. He does. Right? Like this is the way it works. And so a work of faith is not only motivated by grace. A work of faith has to also come from Christ. It has to be birthed in his strength, in his power. That's why we're doing 24 hours of prayer, brothers and sisters, because we believe that anything this church does in our strength and our power is a waste of time. And we want his work. We want his spirit to move. And we want to be a people who are known and marked by works of faith. And here's the thing. Every single time you take a step of a work of faith, it has to be fueled by trust. Motivated by grace, focused on witness in Christ, from Christ, and fueled by trust. This is the thing. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what you're going to do with this. I don't know how it's going to turn out in my life if I start to tithe to the church and give because of what he's done in my life. Like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but I want to be faithful. I don't know how it's going to turn out in my life when I say no to this thing that I've said yes to for two decades of my life. And, man, it's what I've relied on. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust God in it. I don't know what's going to happen if I share my faith with this person. They may reject me. They may make fun of me. They may say no. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust the Lord. Like, it has to be fueled by trust whether it's to go on a mission trip or start a school teach a class step into serving in the church whatever it is it has to be fueled that trust or that, that god is for you not against you that he also wants to further his name and his glory and he wants to use us as his workmanship to do that and to step into that and see god work in some miraculous ways so works of faith that God wants us to be zealous for, are motivated by grace and love. They're works that are focused on bearing witness to him, works that come from abiding in him, and works that are fueled by trust in him. Now here's the thing. 
Today isn't just about information. I don't want to just give us information. I want to bear testimony to what this looks like in lives. And I want to do that by sharing a little bit more about Kenya. But I want to be very clear. This isn't about just the work that God is doing in Kenya. This is about what God might want to do in your life today and tomorrow and decisions you might make in your life today. Will you step out in a small work of faith in your heart, in your life, in the circles of influence God has put you? That's what this is about. But I think it's good for us at times to hear testimony of what God has done in other parts of the world as other people have stepped out. And so I want to invite up Mary and Wallace come out. Um, like I said before, um, Mary and Wallace, they were the founders of Mission of Hope International. And, and I don't think that I would be too far off in saying that when Mary first went into the slums of Mathare, that you anticipated an organization growing to, what is it, 33 schools and over 25,000 kids, give or take? Yeah, somewhere around there. Well, I guess have a seat. Um, Because my hope is is that um, you guys get to hear, and sorry, two very normal people. Like just really normal people. Now, I think they're pretty smart, special people, but, but what God has done in them isn't because they are the most brilliant people in this world. What God has done in them is because they were available and because they were willing to take small steps of faith in various areas. And so, um, Mary, just as you guys, both of you, Mary and Wallace both, as you have this opportunity to speak now to uh, brothers and sisters and you think about all that God has done at Missions of Hope, um, I want to just ask by starting and saying, when you stepped into that slum, did you have any idea of what you ultimately wanted to see God do and what you ultimately thought, again, would be 33 schools and 25,000 students and medical clinics and training facilities and all that kind of stuff? Is that what you had in your mind? No, of course Actually, I was born in a polygamous family. My dad had two wives. And growing up, I thought I was one of the most disadvantaged people in the whole world because I'm the seventh born of a total of 20 children. And so um, I knew the only way out of that place is to go to university, hopefully find a job in a bank, work with money, and not be poor. And when I was a first-year student at Kenyatta University, I accepted Jesus. And that's how I ended up meeting somebody who told me about Madhale Valley slums. I had never heard about the slums. And when he told me, I felt a nudge to want to go and see it for myself. And when I was taken there one Saturday morning, that was the turning point of my life because I had never seen poverty in that manner. And I wondered why would our government allow people to live like this in such deplorable conditions of mm-hmm. poverty? Why aren't Christians doing something about it? And I was a new believer and totally, you know, no much resources. And the As I went back to college, I couldn't stop thinking about the children and the people I had seen. And the more I asked these questions, the more I felt that I needed to do something. So the following Saturday, with a bit of money that I had, 
as a student. I went and I did um, uh, some groceries shopping for one family and I took these groceries to this family. That was the beginning of our ministry or my ministry in Madare because later I met Wallace in a prayer meeting and we both knew God was calling us to do something in this community, something small, because we didn't have much resources, even as a newly married couple, and we had two kids. And in the year 2000 is when we started the first school with 50 children, hmm. 50 boys and girls aged four to six. So it goes from groceries to one family to one school with 50 kids, while you guys have your own home and your own kids, and your own jobs, trying to figure out just the day-to-day -day life. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure the, the other great turning point of your life was marrying Wallace, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you guys stepped into that, I, I guess one of the questions, uh, another one of the questions was asked, I think a lot of times when we think about taking a step of faith in our lives, a lot of times we get paralyzed because we just go, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. Uh, so for you guys, as you looked at this, and, and I, I think it's hard for people to understand, but when you look at pictures of the slums, I couldn't even begin to know where to start. Um, and so for people who are wanting to be faithful and they don't know where to start, how did you guys know where to start? How did you guys know where to take that first step and what that would even look like? Yeah, it's true that it's always, I mean, it's overwhelming when you see the poverty and the needs and uh, you feel small, you feel, uh, I mean, insignificant given what needs to be done. But um, it's a matter of taking a step of faith and believing God. Just like God told Moses, what do you have in your hands? And uh, it was just the staff that he was using to shepherd. And that was enough to make a difference. And our obedience to God makes a whole big difference. Mm -hmm. And so reaching out to that community and starting, you start small. And God multiplies what you're doing. And that is exactly what he did. Mm. We never imagined that uh, we would have so many schools. Our idea was actually just to have the children come to the preschool and then they would go to public schools hmm. because the children were to be the entry points to the families so that we could share the love of Christ. But God had a bigger idea. And our obedience gave him the opportunity to multiply. Yeah. And, you know, it is the same parents that we are reaching out to that uh, told us that we need to start a great school. And as we started... I mean, God has been faithful. And that is how comes he has multiplied to today where we have 33 uh, schools in Kenya. And now he has opened a door for us to be in West Africa, in Liberia. Uh, and so we have another school there. And uh, I mean, and there's no telling mm. what God is going to do in the years to come. Yeah. yeah. Amen. You want to add anything, Mary? Well, uh, you know, when you ask how did we know how to start, where to start, it's interesting because Madara Valley, for those who haven't been there, 
is only half a mile wide, three miles long, but with over 800,000 people living there, packed in there, in these chanties. You'll find a family living in a chanty that is about eight by 10 feet or 10 by 10. Mm -hmm. And that is their kitchen, their bedroom, their living room, everything. They have no running water, no bathrooms. They, they share bathrooms, they have water points in the community. Um, sewage runs everywhere and things like that. So it's overwhelming. Yeah. But, um, I remember we, we, because I had kept going, you know, from this one Saturday I went with a bag of groceries, I kept going back, and <clears throat> that's actually how I got connected to Wallace, because from his university, uh, they had also been going there, like to evangelize through another pastor, and uh, by the time I met him in a prayer meeting, he was a CPA working with the Praise Waterhouse, and God laid it on our hearts to start this school because, you know, obviously the issue or the idea of me working in a bank kind of evaporated after seeing all these kids in the slums. And so um, we felt, let's, let's go to Madale Village One mm -hmm. because Madale is divided into different villages. Let's go to Village One. Let's identify 50 kids. And we talked to community members there, um, different kind of leaders, and we told them to each write a list of the first 50 kids they felt needed intervention because they were so poor. And I don't call it the top list, I call it the least kids mm. in that community. And then we took the list, there were five lists, and we compared, and the ones who appeared the most are the, well, the first 50 that appeared the most are the ones that we started with. Mm -hmm. It was overwhelming, and within no time, we started getting all these parents and guardians bringing kids to the Hope Center, and that is actually how we started growing, you know, from 50 to 85 to 100 to 125, and the number kept growing, and I remember one time we just were like, wow, how are we going to meet the needs of all these children? Uh, Wallace Salali, we had literally started spending it in advance. You know how that goes with a credit card? And uh, until one time the credit card got swallowed in an ATM machine <laughs> because we were not keeping up. And we had this outcry, like how do we do it? How do we continue? And that's when God connected us to partners, and that is what has made us to be able to grow to date, to having the 34 schools that Wallace has talked about, and 27,000 students. See, it's in grown our since I was there in, in January. All yeah, right. the numbers have increased. So let me ask this: a very, do you guys ever have you ever at any point since you started this in 2000 have you ever felt? like you were sufficient and equipped to do what God is trying to call you to do? Uh, you, you will never, ever, ever <laughs> feel sufficient. Right. Uh, and you're always in need of trusting God every moment. In fact, our first core value of Missions of Hope International is bold dependence on God. Mm -hmm. And it's about faith. Uh, you do not know where the next uh, 
coin is going to come from, but you know that God is faithful. Mm -hmm. uh, like as we ventured into Liberia, it was fearful. But one thing that we know is that uh, God is faithful. And as um, we were invited to go to Liberia, we did not know who was going to be our partner there. But uh, a church was already working there and invited us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to go and partner together with them so that we can take the Mohi model, the holistic ministry model. And we know that uh, God is going to make it possible for us to replicate that model in multiple places. Mm-hmm. So we always depend on God. Yeah, amen. So as you guys look at the past 22 years, um, in what ways have you seen God do things that you guys never imagined, that you could have never done on your own? Like, is there like one particular story that sticks out to you? Um, I'm sure that's a hard question, but um, is there one particular thing that sticks out that you're like, that is so clear, the hand of God, um, that... We could have never done this. We could have never seen anything like this happen out of our own strength. Yeah. Um, honestly, there are many, <clears throat> many moments like that. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, it pays to trust God mm -hmm. and to totally depend on him. And one, one thing I remember is that one time we were told about this one community uh, by another organization that was trying to do Bible translation and um, there in that community. This community was a 100% Muslim community. And this um, organization told us the needs of the children in this community. And they told us how difficult it was for them to even to, to do their translation work because they didn't have many people who had gone past eighth grade education. And so they were urging us to go to this community and start a school there for the young kids there. And we were afraid, we freaked out, like how? How do we even start? Like, and I remember thinking, I've never been trained on how to do Muslim evangelism. I've never interacted a lot with Muslim people. Mm -hmm. How am I going to do it? We are a Christian organization. How do we even do it? And it was scary. And then as we continued to pray, you know, long story short, you know, we got courage and we went to this community. And we talked with them, and God urged us to just tell them what we had done in the slums in Nairobi and how we had a desire to come to their community and do the same. And I remember the first thing they were afraid about was that we were going to convert their children. And, I, and God gave me a word and told me to tell them that it wasn't possible for us to convert anyone because we are human. And we were very vulnerable and we told them, we cannot even convert our own children. Mm. Only God can do that. And that is what, that is what made them to yeah. embrace us. And they embraced us. And I can tell you today, we have a school there that is thriving a Missions of Hope school, and these people love us 
we love them, we, we know God is just working in their lives and transforming their lives there, their children, but even they themselves. This community has a king. His name is King Babisan, and he loves missions of hope. Yep. And even though they were 100% Muslim, they were 100% Muslim, I believe God is working in their lives in amazing ways. They know we are a Christian organization. They know we are Christians. When Darren and Donnie came this last January, we took them there. And they know and they witnessed the joy that those people have, the love that they have for us. And, and God is just working in that place. So that is a, a, a story that I really like to share yeah. because it was scary at first. But it is such a joy to see what obedience meant for this community. And there is no limit to what God is doing there. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much. And um, you go ahead and just thank them for coming up on stage. I want to pray for them. And then I want to continue on a little bit and uh, let them get back to their seats. Because after the service, you'll have opportunities to meet with them. If you want to ask more about Missions of Hope International and as well as some of the other things. And I'm going to talk more about that school here in just a second. But let me pray for you guys. Uh, and then uh, I'll continue on. But thank you so much for being here. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the testimony that you um, have given to Marion Wallace. Father, the, the testimony is not there. The testimony is your testimony. It's your work. That as they just took small steps of faith and obedience, those works of faith that we're talking about, Lord, you have done amazing things. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful as I've even had the opportunity to witness to see the fruit that's coming from that. Uh, kids that are coming to faith in your son. Um, lives that are being transformed. All because uh, of just small steps, small works of faith. And not just now in Marion Wallace, but the hundreds of staff that are part of that. Uh, brothers and sisters and teachers that are teaching those kids. And Lord, I want to pray for them. Father, we pray that you continue to open up doors. Father, I pray that you would continue to make them insufficient so they could be dependent upon you who is sufficient. Father, that you would continue to make your name great through the, the work of Mission of Hope International. Father, that you would continue to exalt your name and to bring your kingdom uh, to people all over Kenya and now even beyond the borders of Kenya. And so, Lord, we're so thankful for that. And pray, Lord, a blessing over the ministry um, and ask that you would continue to use your servants um, Marion Wallace and all those that are part of Missions of Hope. We just pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for coming up. And uh, encourage you, go talk to them afterwards because uh, you want to hear more of their stories. But I want to continue to talk. I want to give you a, a few more things. I want to introduce you to somebody else. Um, this, is, uh, this is a picture of a, a lady named Jill. Um, she's the one in the middle, just in case you had any doubts. Um, Jill was a loud gal we met when we were there in January, and, and Jill's a, another great story of someone who just did one small work of faith, one small step. She came to Kenya on a short-term mission trip, and she fell in love with the people and saw a need there. And she was like, I want to just do something. And so she didn't have huge plans or huge ideas. She was like, I want to do something. And so she took her gift of baking cookies, which I can attest she has that gift. I ate one. They're phenomenal, uh, so good. And she's like, I, I want to 
I want to bake cookies, and I want to send all the proceeds of those cookies to Missions of Hope so that they can establish a kitchen to train young men and women to learn how to cook and serve so they could enter into hospitality um, jobs within uh, Kenya. And, and with that one desire to bake cookies, she was able to raise enough mon- money to, to create an entire kitchen where I think there's like 20 or so students in there learning how to do that and hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ just by baking cookies. Just one small step because of what God had done for her, because of the love that he had given her for the people there and her love for the Lord. She's like, I'm I'm just going to bake cookies. Now, God, you do something. And through baking cookies, she's raised enough money to build a whole kitchen process and and, and have students learning that. Like, this is the kind of things that we're talking about. And, and, And so the question is, as amazing as this is, like, what's your cookie like, what's the one thing that God has called you to do? What's the one thing that he's calling your family to step into? And again, there's a million different ways. And it's not just about Kenya. This is about how do you take one more step to engage a work of faith in your life every single day? What does it look like? Does it look like stepping into service in the church in some way? Ministering to our kids' ministry? Does it look like teaching a Bible study? Does it look like going into the public school system and helping minister to young refugee kids that are trying to learn uh, English? Does it look like um, tithing to the church for the first time so you can be part of the broader work that the ministries of the church are doing? Or, Or does it look like baking cookies and taking them to your neighbor and inviting your neighbor into your house? A million different ways. The question is, what has God given to you to be able to do in the world in which he's placed you because no one else has been placed where you've been placed. And no one else has been given the opportunities that you have been given. And one of the things I want to uh, just say is that one option and one opportunity that we want to launch today uh, is uh, asking families to look at stepping in above and beyond their regular giving to the church to sponsor a child. And this is like $40 a month a small amount of money that goes to sponsor a kid in Mohi schools that helps provide uniforms, education materials, and two meals a day so that they can eat. And believe me, if you understand these kids and where they're coming from, like that is a huge thing. And for some of you, $40 feels like a huge sacrifice. Others of you, $40 doesn't feel like much of a sacrifice at all. Either way, if you do it in faith, God can use it. And God can do amazing things. And I want to share one quick story so that you can see how something so small as that, God can use for something even greater. And so I want you to watch this video. I was born and raised in the slums of Mathare Valley. I lived with my mom, grandmother, and baby brother. I knew nothing of my father. Mathare Valley is an unforgiving place to call home. People say nothing good can come from there. But when I was four, I was given an opportunity. I was selected as one of the first 50 kids at Missions of Hope. At Mohi, I was safe. 
I had two meals a day and medical care. It was a great school with amazing teachers who loved me and taught me about how God loved me. One night when I was 10, I woke up to the smell of smoke. Our house was burning. We were able to escape, but we lost everything. We had to start over. Mom fell into depression. I was left to take care of my brother. A few years later, Mohi provided a way for me to attend a boarding school. In high school, they paid my school fees, bus fare, and even pocket money. They made sure that all I needed to do was focus on school. That is when my mom passed away. I had to be an adult for me and my brother. I really thought about giving up and not going back to school. I think about that time even now. But I do believe that good things can come from the Mazari Valley. Mohi gave me a loan for college and was able to graduate in 2019 to pursue a career in law. After becoming a lawyer, I went back to school and recently was sworn in as an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. Life in Mathari is hard, but I let the challenges make me stronger. I never want to get to the point of giving up. Today, I am an example that good things do come from the Mathari Valley. because someone was an advocate for me. Soon, I'll become a child sponsor so that I can impact her life the same way my sponsor impacted me. Together, we can bring hope and transform lives for Christ. So what's amazing about that story, again, is because someone thousands of miles away from her life and her challenges and her story was willing with one small work of faith to commit to give 40 bucks a month so that she could have that opportunity. So not only could she become a lawyer, but she could become a Christian lawyer, a Christ-centered lawyer, someone who sees the law from the perspective of Jesus, not just from the law itself, someone who can help transform a country and it's just one way. And I, I want to just tell about a project that we're entering into. Mary mentioned that community that we visited, that community of, uh, in the, the Muslim area, the, the Muslim schools there, uh, or the, the, the school. I'm trying to, I, was trying, I almost said the name of the community, and we don't want to because it's a, a, Muslim, um, a Muslim community. But we had an opportunity to visit that community, and here's a picture of the school as it exists now. Um, and... We're excited to want to jump into a partnership with Mohi towards the next five years um, of trying to help see that school um, grow and God do some mighty works. And so here's a couple of things that we're going to be jumping into. One, um, we want to enter into 
um, a sponsorship program where we're sponsoring kids in that community to be able to go to that school. Meaning they can get food, they can get the uniforms, they can get uh, the funds to be able to have the materials, they can have the medical, uh, the, the medical help that they need, they can pay the teachers to have that school. And, and that comes through sponsorship of, of kids, that $40 a month. Now, we have 160 names of students here today. Wouldn't it be amazing if every single one of those kids got sponsored today? If every single one of those kids were told they can go to school now and that it's because people are willing to give to the Lord for their, for their education that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's not even that. Like we want to see God do those mighty things in this community, a place where, like I said, it's, it's amazing. Like it's hard to get into eastern Kenya because it's primarily Muslim as, as the Somalis have come in and had great influence in that area. And here they are, a Muslim community, asking a Christian organization to come and teach their kids about Jesus. Who does that? Like Jesus does that. And we have the opportunity to not do something of our own strength, but to partner with work that Jesus is already beginning to do by his spirit in that community. And so our goal over the next five years is to give um, $500,000 to Mohi to help build a, a, a girls' section of dorms, a boys' section of dorms, a fence around the school to protect it from, um, again, all kinds of different things, um, to make sure that that's their property and their thing. Um, there's a whole bunch of things we are going to be launching over the next five years, taking teams over where our school is going to be partnering with their school. Uh, so we have the whole plan, and Donnie's working on that. I think there's even um, some uh, material out in the lobby that you can see that project. But we want to start with the child sponsorship today. And I want to encourage you, like, maybe you're like, okay, what can I do? What's one thing that I can do? It's to start with a, a child sponsorship. It's start with prayer. Because what we want to see is the gospel come to people like this. These are people we met that were there. These people and their kids, they don't know Jesus. They're in darkness. And this is an opportunity that is like none other to have the privilege to be able to partner with a ministry that's been called into that space to share the gospel of Jesus. Do we want to be a part of such things in our lives? Do we? I hope we all do. I hope we all want to be a part of such things. And that means sacrificing 40 bucks a month, and so be it. And this isn't just about Kenya, and that's not what this is all about today. Because you may say, I want to partner with Kenya, and I want to do that. But that doesn't mean you're done, brothers and sisters. Because you've got neighbors right next to you that are in just as much darkness as that person I just showed a picture of. We have Muslims in Wichita that don't know Jesus just as much as those people don't know Jesus. And he's put you and me next to them. He's given you opportunities. And so the call here is for us, as the people of God, to step into the works of faith that God has called us to. Will we do it? Will we be doers of the word or just hearers of the word? Will we hear this and walk away and go like, oh, this sounds really great and I want to do that and I want to be part of what God's doing, but I'm not going to change anything in my life. Listen, 
One of the things you heard from Mary Wallace is it's scary to do works of faith. If it wasn't scary, it wouldn't be a work of faith. You're not going to know how it's all going to work out. If you did, it wouldn't be a work of faith. So if you're waiting to step in to the things that God has called you to, to become sufficient in yourself, to become equipped well enough, to become smart enough or good enough, or to have enough money in your bank account, or to wait until you have this kid or get that kid graduated, or until you retire, you're going to wait until you die. Because there will never be a time we are sufficient to do the works that God has called us to be. There will never be a time when we are equipped enough to do the works that God has called us to. There will never be a time when our faith is strong enough to step into things that that, that aren't scary. We are always going to need to depend on Jesus. And so often we sit back and we wait. We don't do anything because we wait until we're, we're better prepared. And listen, there's some truth in that. There's some good in that and value in that. But brothers and sisters... We're never going to be prepared to do the works that he wants us to do. Not fully. And when we step into those things, we get to see Jesus' work. And maybe that's the bigger question. Do you want to see Jesus' work? Not in someone else's life on a video. Do you want to see Jesus' work in your life? Do you want to see Jesus work in your kid's life? Do you want to see the miraculous work of the Spirit of God take a small work of faith and turn it into something beautiful? And you know what? Maybe you never launch an organization. Maybe one person hears about Jesus and their eternal destiny has changed because of you. That would be good and worthy of celebrating. Amen? Every single person in this room has been given an opportunity. And we've all been put in this place, at this time, in these boundaries, with your resources for his glory. The question is, will we step into those works of faith? And so that's how I want to close. I want to encourage you. Like Maybe your step of faith is to step into that child sponsorship and you can go out in the lobby and they've got tables on this side, that side, and out in the narthex. And you can, you can adopt a child and you can learn about that child and pray for that child and maybe someday go to Kenya and visit that child. And you can step into that. Maybe that's the one small step. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to go uh, to the 24-hour prayer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for the 3 a.m. hour. And you're like, I, I don't know. I'm not even a very good prayer, but I'm just going to take one small step, because clearly Brandon's not going to be there. I don't know. Some of you didn't hear him say he wasn't going to sign up for that one, but anyway. Maybe that's the one step that you make. Maybe it's just that. I don't know what it is, but as we close our time and as we sing one last song, Ryan's going to come out and lead us. I want to call you to respond today. Will you enter into the works that God has given to you? Because brothers and sisters, you, I want you to hear this, you are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. You were created made new, 
redeemed, restored, saved in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't miss that. You were created for good works, which, this is the most encouraging part, God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. He's already there. He's gone ahead of you. You may be terrified. You may have no idea what it can look like. You may not know if you can financially support it. You may not. He's already there. Like he's gone before us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he will do that for his glory and for his name's sake. And so will we step into that work? I want to invite you to stand. And as we sing this song, I just want you to consider what God may calling you, may be calling you into in regards to your faith. Father, I'm so thankful for the beauty of Resurrection Sunday, that we get to gather together and we spend time with our family and our friends and we eat good food and we celebrate all the work that you have done. I'm so glad that we can abide in your love. So glad that you so loved us that you sent your son to die for us. I'm so glad that you promised to, to create us new, to make us new, to give us new life. But Father, you didn't do that so that we could just sit and enjoy what you've given to us. We've been created anew so that we can do the works of faith that you've called us to. You've given us a purpose. You've given us a calling. The youngest person in this room that has put their faith in you to the oldest person in this room who has put their faith in you has a purpose and a calling to glorify you by, by the good works that you've called them to, the works of faith. Lord, lead us in it. But I pray right now that you would call each of us in something this week. One step, one small step to bake a cookie, to go to a neighbor, to pray for someone, to sponsor a child, to sign up for a missions trip, Father, maybe this morning you're going to lay on the heart of a young person the call to go to a foreign land to proclaim the gospel. I don't know, but Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you would help us to hear. That we would be a church marked by good works. That if you were to look at us the way you looked at the churches in Revelation, you would say... I commend you for your work. Well done, good and faithful servants. <laughs> May that be what you would say about these people, about us. Father, I pray that you would do that. And Lord, I pray one more thing. Lord, if there's any here, and I prayed this this morning before the service, if there's anyone here that is weary and heavy laden working hard to try to earn their salvation, to try to make themselves right with you. And they're just beat down because they can't do it and they always feel guilt and they always feel shame. Father, may they hear this morning, you call them, come, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus that they might find rest. 
Lord, that they would be able to put aside their works of the law and come to see the grace that you've given to them, the love you have for them. I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in them, that they would see the gospel and be able to abide in your love. Father, I pray that you would do this work in us this morning. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.